of all the ways to begin a Mother's Day sermon. I could try my best to write a heartwarming and sappy song like Jeff Foss. (laughs) Or I could show you touching and tender mommy and me pictures from the past. Or I could recite for you some recycled cliche off of a $4.99 Hallmark card. Or I could present a price-inflated bouquet of ruby red roses. But I believe that the best way to begin a Mother's Day sermon, probably the best way to honor mothers, there's no better way than by sharing a few good old yo mama jokes. That's right. Yo mama, so wise, Yoda texts her for advice. Or should I say, for advice, Yoda texts her he does. Yo mama, so cuddly, puppies watch YouTube videos of her. Yo mama, so musical, I confuse yo mama with yo yo ma. Yo mama, so full of joy and cheer, she put the detergent industry out of business. Yo mama, so stable that horses are like, yo, can we stay with you? That happens to be me on a bucking bronco right there. Talk about great parenting. One more, one more for you. One more. Yo mama, so funny, she makes Jeff Rodriguez look like Ben Stein. Bueller, Bueller. A very special welcome to you. Thank you so much for being here on Mother's Day. We are are grateful. Thank you to all the mothers. We we love you. We care for you. I also realize, as Jeff was saying earlier, that today might actually be a really hard day for a lot of people. Maybe your mom passed away, and today is a really tough reminder of that. Or maybe your mom wasn't all that great of a mom. Well, if that's you today... I want to pray for you that a strong motherly figure would come into your life. And if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you need, Journey the Church is a great place. Because this place is jam-packed with wonderful women of God. Amen? Yeah, today we begin a brand new sermon series called Wonder Women of the Bible. The Bible is overflowing with women who do incredible things by and through and for God. Women who embody our memory verse from Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, which reads, Who can find a virtuous or wonderful woman? 
for her price is far above rubies. From the well-known wonder women like Sarah and Ruth and Esther to the lesser known and nameless women, the Bible is overflowing with their wonderful stories. And today we're going to explore one. We're going to explore a wonder woman of the Bible named Hannah. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand. We, we stand here to revere the word of God and its life-transforming, changing power. And if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. It reads, There was a man from Ramathim, Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He was the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the first was Hannah, and the name of the second was Penina. Now, Penina had children, but Hannah was childless. She was barren or unable to have children in a day and age in a society where women, where wives were valued if they were able to bear children. In other words, Hannah was unable to be a mother. Are you serious? On on Mother's Day, we're talking about this? This should be illegal. Let's ask God for help. Father, we ask that you would come here today, that you would would surround us by your presence. That, Lord, we honor the mothers here, but we also honor the God who has given these mothers to us. Teach us today, Lord, about what it means to sacrifice, to dedicate, to, to offer everything that we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So our story begins with a man named Elkanah, a polygamist, a man with more than one wife at the same time. He's a man from Ephraim with two wives. Now, before you begin to judge Elkanah as some dirty, rotten scoundrel, I want you to consider a few things. Polygamy, Old Testament style. Some of the greatest rock stars of the Bible were actually polygamous. You know that song, Father Abraham had many wives? Oh, you learned a different version of the song? Well, Father Abraham had many wives. Many wives had Father Abraham. What? And then how about Jacob, also known as Israel? Yeah, he, he, had, he had a couple. And then Moses, perhaps, uh, depending on how you interpret Numbers chapter 12, with this presence of the Cushite woman who he marries, even though he's already married to a Midianite woman. So maybe Moses was a polygamist as well. Gideon, David, the man after God's own heart. And how about Solomon, the wisest man? He had a couple. Maybe like a thousand or so, give or take. While polygamy was not God's choice for his people, God still loved the polygamous family. God loves the polygamist, just like God loves the axe murderer or the PTA mom. It's true. God uses messed up people like me and maybe like you to do incredible things. And that's what I love about God, that he takes us just as we are broken, 
not having it all together, and he, he can use us to do incredible things. Verse 2, the, the note that Penina had children and Hannah was childless. This might imply that Elkanah had a reason that he took a second wife to give him children since Hannah was childless. Well, our text continues. I, I want you to, to know I'm not like for any ballot measures about polygamy and all this stuff. Uh, but I think it's important before we cast judgment, especially on these characters thousands of years ago, we need to know a little bit more about their society and their background before we do so. Well, verse 3 says, Year after year, that means once a year, every year, this man would go up from his city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Shiloh was located mid-Israel, as you can see on the map. And it was at this time a hub for Israelite worship, as you can see on the map. It was here that the Ark of the Covenant uh, was resting at this particular time. So once a year, Elkanah plus his wife Penina and her children, plus his wife Hannah, plus her zero children, would go up to Shiloh to offer sacrifices. Basically to have a barbecue. Because barbecues and sacrifices looked... A lot like the same thing. Basically, a family would come and they would present a bull or a sheep or some birds to God. They would give it to the priest who would then take it and cook it on the open grill. Also known as the altar. And then after this was thoroughly cooked, whether medium rare, well done, I don't know, however you want it. The priest would take it off, cut it up, and the people would enjoy it. They would eat it with the priest and discuss how good God is. A certain portion would be offered to God. Now, this is one type of, of offering. Whole burnt offerings would mean like the whole carcass of the animal, some things cut away, would be presented and burned up to God. Well, that's kind of what's happening here at Shiloh as our text continues in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3b. It was there that the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, served as the Lord's priests. Whenever that day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he used to give meat portions to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But he would give a double portion to Hannah because he especially loved her. Penina's name in Hebrew means something like prolific or fertile, hence the minivan and all the kids. While Hannah's name in Hebrew, Chana, means something like charming or attractive, hence the extra portion of ribs. So Elkanah, although he thought he was fulfilling his role as the nice, nurturing, polygamist husband that he was, he gives Hannah a double portion of ribs. He thinks he's doing a good thing, but in reality what he's doing is he's actually shaming her. He's actually doing more harm than good. 
You see, Penina, when she would receive her portion of the sacrifice, she would receive a, a large portion, her and, and her children. Uh, maybe imagine it like a, a meat lover's pizza. A meat lover's pizza, let's say it's 12 slices. Penina and all her children would receive nine of the 12 slices, a majority. While Hannah would receive her one portion, one slice. But Elkanah, being the nice, nurturing, polygamist husband that he was, decided he felt bad for her. And so he would double her portion. He would give her two slices of pizza. But what this would do, it would just highlight her solitary state, that she was childless, that she was barren. And the strangest part about all of this barrenness is that it was caused by God. What? Yeah, that's what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, Now the Lord had not enabled her to have children. The Hebrew expresses her womb like a door that is shut, like a door that is closed by use of this verb, cigar. You could translate this as something like, the Lord had closed or shut her womb. Why? Why would God do such a thing? I don't know. Does this mean that all infertility, all barrenness is because of God? I don't know. But what I do know is that up to this point, Hannah's had it really tough. She's had a really tough life. I mean, she's practically the fifth wheel of fifth wheels. Here you've got her hubby with wifey 2.0 and all of their children, their happy family, the big house, the white picket fence, the SUV. And then here is Anna, childless, barren, because God had made her this way. Pretty rough. But it's going to get worse. Verse 6. It says, Her rival wife used to upset her and make her worry, for the Lord had not enabled her to have children. Again, we have this perpetual reminder that she was childless. Verse 7 says, Penina would behave this way year after year. The abuse was annual, not to mention continuous and probably habitual. Whenever Hannah went up to the Lord's house, Penina would upset her so that she would weep and refuse to eat. She's missing out on all them good ribs. Finally, her husband, Elkanah, has a sit-down with her. A little heart-to-heart. As he said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and not eat? Why are you so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Bonehead. What are you saying? What are you saying? This is like the worst possible thing you could say. In this moment, he should be saying something like, Hannah, babe, Look at me. Just look at me. You are worth more to me than ten 
thousand sons. That's what he should have said. Why didn't he say something like that? Well, he's confused. It's a situation that is difficult to do anything in. He he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand it because he can't fix it. Fellas, listen up. There's something I must tell you. No matter how crafty you are, or no matter how mechanical you are, or how tech-savvy you are, or survival-equipped you think you are, there are going to be situations when you and I are at a complete loss, where we can't fix it, where we can't do anything. Elkanah is here in a situation where he can't fix it. Well, why? Let's take a look at Elkanah's can't-fix fiasco. He's helpless about the problem of barrenness. It's caused by God. He, He can't do anything about it. He's helpless in the destructive interaction between his wives. Not a place you want to set foot. Two women going at it. That's the danger zone. Like the Bermuda Triangle. If you value your life at all, you steer clear away from this. Hannah is deeply needy and immobilized. The family system seems desperately closed. And the only opening is that every year they go up to Shiloh to sacrifice to God. The very one who has closed Hannah's womb. Good luck trying to fix that. Our text then continues. On one occasion in Shiloh, after they had finished eating and drinking, Hannah got up. Now, at this time, Eli. Eli the priest was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. She, Hannah, was very upset as she prayed to the Lord and she was weeping uncontrollably. She made a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will look with compassion on the suffering of your female servant, remembering me and not forgetting your servant, and give a male child to your servant, then I will dedicate him to the Lord. All the days of his life, his hair will never be cut. Hannah comes to God with a very straightforward request. She asks for a son. And the beautiful part about it all is that that she's asking for the son, this gracious gift from God. And if she were to receive this gracious gift, she would give it right back to God. She says that, that she will offer him as a Nazarite. Well, what's a Nazarite. Nazarites marked their commitment to God by abstaining from wine or other strong drink and by never cutting their hair or beard. It sounds very noble, especially when it comes to the cutting the beard part. <laughs> she begins to tell God that she will offer, dedicate, sacrifice her unborn, non-existent son... To the service of God. Verse 12 says, As she continued praying to the Lord, Eli was watching her, watching her mouth. Now, Hannah was speaking from her heart, 
Although her lips were moving, her voice was inaudible. Eli, therefore, thought she was drunk. And so he said to her, how often do you intend to get drunk? Put away your wine. But Hannah replied, that's not the way it is, my Lord. I am under a great deal of stress. Is this some way she's trying to justify her drunken slosh state? No. I have drunk neither wine nor beer. I haven't poured out wine. I haven't poured out beer. Rather, I have poured out my soul to the Lord. Don't consider your servant a wicked woman. For until now, I have spoken from my deep pain and anguish. Consider the socio-historical context. Consider the day and age in which this is being communicated. This is at a point in history when women and men were not at equal levels. And here she is speaking in a very bold way to a man. Not just any man, the priest. This is a big deal. Eli replied, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. She said, may I, your servant, find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and got something to eat. Her face no longer looked sad. So she grubbed down on some ribs. Her tummy was filled, but so too was her heart. Filled with the expectation of what God would do. Continues in verse 19. They got up early the next morning and after worshiping the Lord, they returned to their home at Ramah. Elkanah had marital relations with his wife, Hannah. That means like they paid bills, did the laundry, mowed the lawn. And the Lord remembered her. He granted her request. After some time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, thinking, I asked the Lord for him. Samuel's name means something like name of God. Well, Hannah called upon the name of God in a very dire, very troubling situation where she was helpless, where she was hopeless, unable to do anything. She was barren and she was immobile. The doors were closed, locked, bolted shut. But Hannah prayed and God moved. This man, Elkanah, went up with all his family to make the yearly sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go up with them. Instead, she told her husband, once the boy is weaned, I will bring him and appear before the Lord and he will remain there from then on. So her husband Elkanah said to her, do what you think best. Good answer. Stay until you have weaned him. May the Lord fulfill his promise. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Once she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with three bulls. Now, if you're following along in your Bibles, it might read something a little bit different. There's some debate going on within the grammar here, whether she brought three bulls or one three-year-old bull. 
But she also brought an ephah of flour, basically like a five-gallon jug full of flour, and a container of wine. This sounds like a lot that she's bringing to offer as a sacrifice. Yeah, it is. It actually goes far beyond what was required of her. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 6 talks about how she would be required to bring a sheep or a turtle dove if she could afford it. If she couldn't afford the sheep, then she was supposed to bring two turtle doves, save the French hen, forget about the partridge and a pear tree, or just bring two pigeons. You know that song, right? You don't? Okay. Wait till Christmas. She brings a lot because she's grateful to God. She brought him, that is, Samuel, to the Lord's house at Shiloh, even though he was young. Once the bull had been slaughtered, they brought the boy to Eli. Well, whether she brought three bulls or one three-year-old bull, it doesn't really matter. The bull is actually the highest sacrifice you could make in Israelite society. But that doesn't even really matter. What matters most is that Hannah brought what was most important to her. Not one three-year-old bull or three bulls. She brought what was, at this point in time, her one and only son. Sounds familiar. She said, just as surely as you are alive, my Lord, I am the woman who previously stood here with you in order to pray to the Lord. I prayed for this boy and the Lord has given me the request that I asked of him. Now I dedicate him to the Lord. From this time on, he is dedicated to the Lord and dedicated he will be. As Samuel will become a prophet, a mediator of God's word to all of Israel. Then they worshipped the Lord there. I want to invite the, the worship band back up as we begin to close with some worship. I remember her fingers as she held the book in her hands. My eyes were scanning the pages, looking at all the pictures as she turned each page. And I remember the sound of her soft, soothing voice as she read, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living my baby you'll be. I remember sitting cross-legged, Indian style, dressed in my footy pajamas on her bed. There were playing cards strewn all about the rippled bedsheets and comforter. And I remember asking my mom, do you have a jack? And she said, nope, go fish. I remember playing with a brand new Christmas toy called a light bright. 
was a metal box that had a light inside of it. And there were these small plastic colored pegs that you would punch through black construction paper and make a cool design that would light up in the night. But I remember being interrupted as my mom and dad called us into the other room to explain to us that they were getting a divorce. I remember climbing through skyscrapers of cardboard boxes jam-packed in the garage of the new place we were to call home. And I remember she was so strong as she said, everything is going to be okay. I remember it being pitch black, dark, as I felt her lips on my cheek, as she kissed me goodbye when she left for work early in the morning. And then I remember hours later, after the sun had gone down, she arrived home and went straight into the kitchen and began to cook us dinner, check our homework, and ask how our day was. I remember the feel of the indented rubber of the steering wheel in my palms. And I remember her voice as she timidly said, Okay, honey, let's take it nice and slow. I remember dancing with her to Bob Dylan's Forever Young. At my wedding during the mother-son dance. But what I remember most about my mom is that she would always, always, always make every sacrifice to help, to listen, to encourage. And this sacrifice that she has always made in my life has encouraged me and put a deep desire within me to dedicate, sacrifice, and honor all that I am to God. But I realize that all her selfless sacrifice and all the selfless sacrifice of you moms and you dads and you sons and you daughters and you followers of Jesus. All our sacrifice, all of it amassed together is a mere blip on the scale. A mere blip on the scale compared to the incomparable inconceivable, unfathomable magnitude of God's great sacrifice for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In doing this, Jesus who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped or clung to or seized. 
But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, when we think about the cross, we think about the stages of the cross, how Jesus was betrayed and arrested and spit on and cursed at and beaten and flogged and crucified. We think, wow, the shame, all the, the pain. You know, when I blow it, feels so rotten inside, like garbage, like trash inside, so guilty, so full of shame. It just wells up inside. It's, it's called sin. But the crazy part about sin is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He said, God made the one who did not know sin. That's Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That Jesus became my sin. But not only that, Jesus became your sin. And not only that, Jesus became the sin of some 7 billion people on earth today. And not only that, Jesus became the sin of the billions of people who came before that. And not only that, Jesus became the sin of those people who will come after that. And not only that, Jesus has become sin to infinity and beyond. He tasted death so we might not. And Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 2, As a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I ask you to. What will you offer? What will you dedicate? What will you sacrifice to God? What will you sacrifice to the God of the universe who sacrificed everything for you? Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that no means of measure can define your great love. We can't escape your love for us. The sacrifice that you made on our behalf. But it's this free gift that you've given us. I pray, God, right now, if someone in here today wants to accept the sacrifice that Jesus has made to become a whole person, complete, that they would pray, Jesus, would you come into my heart? I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, but you rose again. I am guilty, but you give me life. I am full of sin, but you wash it white as snow. 
Come into my life. Teach me how to live. Become my king. May I follow you all the days of my life. So Jesus, we sacrifice our lives. Teach us the steps to take. We give you it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.